0: also i wanted to ask about what's his faction triple three something triple three the triple sides? threat triple threat triple threat it's like a boy band <laughs> it does sound like a boy band yeah triple thread we're gonna get you hang on that's, that's weird um
1: <laughs> <laughs> boy bands in general didn't used to say their name like hip-hop artists <laughs> back
0: streets back tinky
1: that's
0: true that's true so uh yeah triple threat we're gonna have a good time there we go
1: Hello and welcome. This is the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we take another intermission during this SummerSlam season to bask in the gory of extreme championship wrestling. And what a fitting name the show has for us today as we once again record this in the sweltering temperatures brought on by climate change's fiery doom and take in heatwave from 1998. Joining me today is Tom Smith.
0: Hi mate, how's it going?
1: Good, thank you, how are you?
0: Yeah, very good. I've got my uh, my double wide, double deep shaped sex toys to get extreme today. So we're gonna go we're gonna go for it and um can you do me a favor though for the rest of this the rest of this podcast, Tiki, you. whenever you say heat wave, I want you to say it like Martha and the Vandellis, if you could. <laughs>
1: I don't think I'm going to be able to live up to that, Tom. safe. Uh, and also we have with us Matt Roberts today. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good, gents. How are we all doing? Very good. There's the John Cena uh, salute again for all those uh, listeners out there who can see you doing it.
2: <laughs> there's there's a very consistency to it that I just love. Well, he, yeah. was, he was very prompt this week because he, uh, he, he was in Newport. So Was he? What the fuck was he doing in Newport? He was at Wales Comic Con.
1: Ah. I was going to say, there's no other reason to go to Newport, is there?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I tell you what, I must admit, I started watching the film Suicide Squad that he was in, I and I didn't finish it because I didn't think it was very good, but he was very good in it, I must admit, as peacemaker, very entertaining, very charismatic. He's, he's not a bad actor, to be fair, in certain roles. I think the bar is probably quite low, but still, it was still quite good.
1: Well, today we are on episode 82 of this podcast, and that means our archive is starting to bulge at the seams. And in the crotch. And we have all manner of treasures in our back catalogue for you to explore. Maybe you're looking for Prime Attitude era content. We have it in there. Or you want to take a trip back to the mid-1980s. That's also available. Perhaps you're bang up for some Russo era WCW. Or even looking for our unique perspective on some more up-to-date events. You can find all of the above and much more on all good podcasting apps so t- today guys ecw heatwave 1998 i hope you watched the right show i
0: did I you did i checked about four times thinking and i don't want to go too far into this but if this is the wrong fucking show yeah i've got to watch something else i'm gonna be livid <laughs>
1: I had the same. I had the same thing. I started watching it and got through the first match, then and then thought, "Oh, I better check. I better check this." Not but just because I don't have the time. I just didn't have the time to watch another show on top of the one I was already watching. So, I'm very, very pleased that we all got the right one. Before we get into that, I've got no topic today, so I don't know if anybody else has got something that they wanna they wanna bring up or something that they've uh, noticed or that they're interested in that's going on in the world of professional wrestling or just generally. Uh, have a little chat about anything, really.
0: It is something I was, I was wondering about. I don't know if you guys have spoken about this last week. Obviously, the episode that dropped as the, at the time of recording was the, the uh, fully loaded 99 with myself, Matt and Old Man. We kind of discussed the uh, the Vince going of it all. And obviously, because I only do every other episode, I don't know what you guys talked about last week in your, in your talking points. But I was wondering, has anybody been remotely more interested in WWE since the big guys fucked off?
1: So from from my personal perspective, I've been slightly tempted to watch some stuff, but haven't done. And I think I may have mentioned this maybe last week. I am tempted to watch WWE on a four week delay (laughs) because (laughs) that's when it gets on the uh, network. And that's when I can sort of pick and choose when I want to watch it. And I can watch it on my phone as opposed to like having to be in front of a television and watch it on record from the virgin box we've got so to me it gives me a little bit of flexibility i could watch it on the bus if i want to and i thought oh i could watch it on a four-week delay just to see if it's any good um because i don't really see a lot of spoilers to be honest for what goes on in wwe and i tend to ignore most of it anyway so yeah i just thought that was a, that might be might be something i do but it, it will be entirely dependent on how i feel in a couple of weeks time when we get to four weeks after <laughs> the first triple h rule which i think is sort of the day after SummerSlam. i, I would imagine
0: yeah. So would you watch SummerSlam in the build up to it?
1: No. So I watched the main event of SummerSlam because obviously I wanted to see the craziness and I, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. But what made me laugh, though, was there was a few people sort of suggesting that, see, he's going to be great with Triple H. And I was like, I don't think Triple H changed anything about that SummerSlam. He may have changed the odd bit or two, maybe one, one maybe a result here or there, but I don't see that. Match being a product of Triple H, I see that being entirely what they had planned ahead of time because it's just you wouldn't do it. You, you've got long-term plans that you built into SummerSlam. Now maybe you're going to change that coming out of SummerSlam, but you, you only took over like three or four days before it. I just didn't, I didn't believe for a second any anyway, of it was really to do with Triple H. Maybe some of the stuff with Io Shirai, for example, turning up, that might have been more to do with Triple H. But I don't think any of the results of the matches or or the style of the matches anyway were changed by what he did.
0: I imagine it probably takes longer than. In a couple of days to hire a tractor and work yes. out the logistics of being able to lift up the ring and Absolutely. get Brock Lesnar fully trained up on the tractor
2: and all that stuff as well what about you Matt do you know what? I I think it's too early to tell yet to be honest I, I think you might be able to see the odd little thing here and there, like Karrion Cross has just come back, um, Dexter Loomis has just come back. Hang on, back. hang on, you're ruining this, tinky of three weeks. time. <laughs> I'm sure he's devastated.
1: Uh, <laughs> I saw that, um, I, I saw that, don't worry, I saw it.
2: There we go. Um, you know, we've had EO Sky. you know, Ben just said, you know, so we we start to see some people come back who I do think perhaps Triple H might have added influence on their return, but I, I still think it's, it's too early to to make a definitive sort of prediction on it just yet what about your interest in watching it do you know my interest is exactly the same i i've got um you know sort of subscriptions to you know loads of different sort of podcasts so i'll i'll always um i'll find out the results i mean the night after i'll always have a quick you know read through the results see what happened if i'm interested and it sounded good I'll, I'll watch it. I tend to watch the clips on YouTube. That, that tends to be the best way to to find out what happened on RAW. And if anything's good, I'm like, oh, okay. I'll watch it on the YouTube clip, and you can you know you can be done fairly quickly with that without having to spend a whole three hours. So I, I highly recommend that as a way to watch RAW. But but my interest has pretty much remained the same, to be honest, for for the time being. Mine has actually gone up a little bit. Now, I watched SummerSlam in
0: its entirety just because of am not in one sitting, obviously, because as that's, that's Tinky you knows, it's impossible for me to sit still for that long. But I, I, did, I did enjoy SummerSlam. And I think it's probably actually, to be honest, coincided with the fact that I restarted my BT Sports subscription so it means I've got, you know, like Tinky said, I've got the convenience of being able to watch it on, you know, on my phone, on my tablet or whatever like that, so quite often if I'm having, if I'm just doing I don't know, just like some boring media admin tasks as part of work or whatever, I'll just have Raw on in the background so I watched the entire episode of Raw last week, it's just not not fully focused, but just on over the course of like a day or two, just in the background, I I quite enjoyed it but as I said, the novelty I think will probably wear off pretty quickly, because I think it's just the fact that I know the football season's back as well you know it's definitely I've got less time to you know watch three hours of decent uh, average wrestling every week sorry Hunter you're gonna have to wait for our custom
1: (laughs) you are well I'm just I'm really interested because I think ultimately it's the first time in our lives that somebody else is controlling what's on WWE television. And so I think it, that's why it's unsurprising that it's piquing some interest. They did a good rating for Raw the, the night after SummerSlam. Understandably so. You know, there will be lots of people tuning in just out of curiosity to see what it looks like when Vince isn't in control. Well, do you think,
0: though, that that's still the case? you reckon Vince is surreptitiously on the old McMahon family WhatsApp group? Being like, I don't know, have him call someone a poop bum. <laughs>
1: I'm sure I'm sure he is, but I don't imagine the difference is, is that he can't have final say over it. So even if he is kind of going, oh, can we? you should do this or you should do that. You, and, and it, it. you know, it wouldn't. <laughs> well, the thing is, it wouldn't surprise me if Triple H is sounding him out as well. If, when he's got some ideas and saying, you know, what do you think about this? It wouldn't surprise me because why wouldn't you You would draw on that resource? You don't have to listen to him, but you just want maybe want to hear what he's got to say. I've always thought that, for example, someone like Vince Russo would be quite valuable to have just as a voice you know to say oh i think you should do this because you could take one in 50 ideas that he came up with but that one could be really interesting because regardless of what anyone thinks of him he's got loads of ideas they're just fucking completely confused <laughs> so you know if you if you want to put together a team of people where they just chucking ideas in and vincent man someone you want to get sound you know to sound out about things regardless of what he ends up saying to you you might you might completely dismiss it you would take advantage of it i would think and you know i know that vincent man's a particularly unsavory character but ultimately still triple h's father-in-law so i'm sure they're not without contact with one another
0: It'd be amazing if he was like you don't need you're not going to be head of creative and you're stepping down a ceo i'll give you a job as a junior member of the writing staff pop <laughs> As he called him when that thick fucking thing fell on him.
1: Maybe. i tell you what, though, who's going to be laughing right now, isn't he? The the, the the most clever man in all of professional wrestling. The man who waited it out, took his time, still hasn't really made clear what his decision going to be. Johnny Gargano will be absolutely mm. laughing all the way to the bank at the moment because now Damn. he's pretty much wanted it everywhere. And uh, he's probably got a little bit of a bidding war on on. Uh, you know, in his favour. So uh, fair play to
0: him. If he went to AEW, it would be an absolute fucking disgrace <laughs> because there's, no, admittedly, he's one of the better ones. But there's a million others, good wrestlers, just and that that's their thing. Good wrestlers that he could do so much more. And we've seen what he can do under the tutelage, should we say, or the, underneath underneath the creativity of Triple H. And given a bit of freedom, so for him to go to AEW would be, oh, be awful. <laughs> be well, so u-
1: ultimately there's a vacancy in WWE for a wrestler like Johnny Gargano, isn't there?
0: Well, you know who champers with, don't you? Muddied up with the Miz.
1: Right. Logan Paul, bring in bring in Johnny Gargano.
0: Lovely old job. Perfect. they can have Logan Paul get beaten down by The Miz and Johnny Gargano. You're just talking amazing. about him being wasted in
2: AEW. You're <laughs> on about him being paired with Logan Paul. Oh, oh, I'm going to go and join AEW and slap my leg with the rest of them. I, 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 I'd rather him do that than do anything with Logan Paul. You're, you're wrong, mate. Logan Paul's fucking amazing. <laughs> I, Paul's think, amazing. I think
1: ultimately, go. though, as I said, there's a vacancy for a wrestler like Johnny Gargano in WWE. There is no one there at the moment who's doing this. I, I already know who 2023's Person that I'm gonna bitch about all year is so. Last year it was Chris Jericho. This year it's Edge. I already know Adam who Cole. next year is going to be no, 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 no. I've already done enough of that. Yeah. It's going to be someone else, but I know it's going to be. But Johnny Gargano would fit perfectly in there as that vacancy in that vacancy as the as the wrestler of WWE. So let's get to Heat Wave 1998. No, no, no. I want to try and figure out who you're going to be slagging oh, off. No, you'll have to wait until January, won't you? So yeah. Heat Wave 1998. What were our expectations for this one then? Let's start
2: with you, Matt. Do you know what? I've only ever seen one ECW pay-per-view in full before. And that was barely legal of, of all of all the shows to, to be able to have seen. That was the one, the very first. But do you know what? I I was looking forward to this quite a bit, actually, because I remember particularly when I watched the, the Rise and Fall of ECW documentary way back when that I thought, wow, this promotion seems really bloody good. It seemed different and definitely different uh, to WWE. And to me personally, it felt more appealing. So, I, I my expectations for this were, were actually quite high. Tom, mm, mine weren't very high. I've watched
0: that documentary, The Rise and Fall of the ECW, and it's magnificent. I've watched The One Night Stand, which I've said I absolutely love as well. Those are very much WWE productions. We've watched two ECW pay-per-views so far, as part of this podcast, and I've not liked either of them at all. I think they've managed to do a very, very good job of selling the idea of the cult of ECW, as opposed to what it actually is. And I always felt like I should like it, and I should appreciate it. But I've just come to the conclusion I do not really. And <laughs> I thought about that as, as I was coming in to watch the show. I was thinking to myself, I don't really want to watch this, but <laughs> I'm expecting a lot of sloppy, violent matches. But hopefully one, maybe two good te- technical matches. Lots of unsavory attitudes towards women and Joey Styles to be very grating on commentary. However, I went in with a positive attitude. <laughs> it's got
1: to be better than Fastlane 2017 well that's that's to be seen I guess my expectation was that I was going to be disappointed that Old Man is not on this episode because Old Man has a hate-hate relationship with ECW um, aside from One Night Stand which he really enjoyed as well but I thought this was potentially a window into ECW that might agree with him a little more because I knew a lot about this show I had it on VHS so I've seen it a number of times and the reason I bought it is because it had a reputation that preceded it as one of the better ECW pay-per-views so i thought oh it's a shame that old man's not going to be on the episode because i think he might appreciate this more at least than the previous two shows of those previous two shows to be honest i thought one was pretty average and the other one was actually terrible so i wasn't far off from where you were with those other two shows tom
0: yeah during my research of the show and again we're talking to this a little bit more that i did after i'd watched it i realized that this is uh probably the standard bearer for ecw pay-per-views isn't it this is one of the ones that is highly regarded as probably their best if not one of the best
1: yeah it is definitely considered one of their best i think so talking points so who wants to go first anyone got anything that's burning you know the burning desire to talk about
0: yeah so i i drew a lot of comparisons in this to ecw one night stand and it's given me it's given me a bit of a different appreciation of the ecw one night stand show I'm not gonna I don't necessarily need to focus on any matches. There are specific things in there that I wanted to kind of there are a lot of parallels. You can tell, I think, that when Paul Heyman was booking that show, he probably drew on a lot of things from this little things like um just think about the first match, for example, is just incredible, with four people in his entourage, three people in his entourage, four of them in total, versus Jerry Lynn, which is the exact same thing that happens at ECW One Night Standards. He is actually just incredible, is one of the entourage, but it's Lance Storm and some other people i can't remember who and there's the impact players effectively against against um, chris jericho uh, i one of my criticisms of the ecw one night stand was the fact that i thought it was really weird that it's a six-man tag in the main event but that happens in this pay-per-view as well so uh, and tinky said at the time i remember when we did the episode you said that it was very much a uh that's the sort of thing they did they would have these matches as their main events so someone who's grown up to be conditioned as the title match generally being the main event on most pay-per-views the fact that there's a six-man tag after a title match i always find really confusing so that kind of leads into that a little bit but there's also a couple of other things obviously there's a mike olsen versus masato tanaka match on here which is one of the the one at one night stand is one of my favorite matches ever and i must admit this has tainted that a little bit for me now because even though tinky said in the past they've had this match millions of times i've never seen it which has meant the ecw one night stand 2005 match has lost a bit of its luster to me (laughs) because it's just it's not the same match but it's it's largely similar. And those were the kind of like three like main things I kind of thought about that. Lots of parallels drawn between those two matches and I those those, those two cards. And it kind of made me I don't want to say think less of <laughs> One Night Stand 2005 because <laughs> I think it's a magnificent card and, and, a, and a great moment but it did make me think oh okay so they've obviously drawn heavily on that on this card particularly when it comes to creating that one it's kind of given me a different perspective on that one.
1: I'm, I'm glad you said that because I I thought that very much I thought like this is the template they've used for One Night Stand 2005 is you know the way the show's laid out the map the kinds of matches they've got the main event of One Night Stand is not a six man it's a tag team but it oh. is. But it's still Tommy Dreamer and Sandman against the Dudley Boys, who are all involved in the main event of this. So it's very, very similar in in nearly every way. So you know, I I I agree. I think I entirely agree. And I think I think Paul Heyman and Tommy Dreamer and whoever set up One Night Stand, and I think we had some discussions about that when we did our One Night Stand episode. Absolutely drew on this as a well. This is one of our best. So let's just try and match the same format, but with perhaps being able to draw upon more of the other good wrestlers that we've had over the years, like Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit, who were involved in that show. Any thoughts, Matt? Do you know
2: what? I'm I'm not quite sure. I mean, I haven't seen really enough ECW shows to know um, that that is the sort of main format. So... I'm not quite sure that, you know, I mean, I, I can see where, you know, where you're getting at in terms of, you know, the, the one night stand format, but I, I haven't seen enough of their shows to know what their sort of, you know, standard kind of formula is really. So I'm, I'm not
1: quite sure myself. Well, I wouldn't say this is a standard formula for ECW shows. I just think that they used that template when they did one night stand, as Tom said. The other thing that I thought was uh, interesting about that is completely gone out of my head. So that doesn't, uh, that's not any really good, is it? Too
0: many chair shots back in the day have just I, run a your brain, haven't they?
1: That is, that is it, that is it. But yeah, no, I, I think that's a really, really good point and um, suggestion there may be that... This was a you quite enjoyed the show, given that you like One Night Stand so much. But also, Mike Awesome Masato Tanaka from One Night Stand is a Hall of Fame right now. Of yeah, course, it is. As for our Hall of Fame induction just about a month ago. Matt, what did you uh, what did you want to draw upon?
2: Do You know, I was I was kind of going to going to be leaning towards Masato Tanaka and uh, Mike Awesome there, but I, I kind of feel like Tom touched on that a little bit, so I'll do something a little bit different. Let's talk about the Sandman, shall we? <laughs> now, again. I haven't watched a ton of ECW, but I I too have watched One Night Stand. Like I said, I, I watched the, the Rise and Fall documentary. I also watched the sort of a company piece, if you like. Uh, that, you know, at the time TNA sort of got Jeremy Borash's take on it forever hardcore, which if anybody hasn't seen that one, I honestly think it's equally as good because there's so many different voices in there, and Samman was one of them. And I found him to be one of the most fascinating people in the entire documentary. Now, h- having seen in a way what he can do. At One Night Stand 2005. I I really enjoyed his work. Now, he seemed like, you know, the granted he was a lot older, but the big tough man who was just out there, you know, looking for a fight, wants to kick some ass. Cool. But, like, he seemed like a legitimate tough guy when he came out. Now, he did when he came out for this show, too. And then he started wrestling. (laughs) And I use that term loosely. Because, like, aside from weapon shots and things like that, I mean... My God, I, I thought he had at least a little bit of wrestling ability. My God, no, he didn't. I, I was totally taken aback by he hit. I can't remember who he was, but he hit a clothesline on someone. And I literally just went, oh, my God. Just, I, honestly, I don't even know what to say how bad this clothesline <laughs> was. And just every single time he tried to hit your basic wrestling moves, he just couldn't do it. Or not that he couldn't do it. He just looked like shit while doing it. And, and other than the, you know, the bashing the beer can over his head, which I love, you know, the, the fact he comes out smoking, the fact, you know, he's got all the weapons in the world. He's not that good. And this was probably not a surprise to you guys, but you know,
1: it, it was to me. I always find it funny, uh, Matt, your uh, your surprises, you know, the, some of the things that you come out with as if as if it's such, such big news <laughs> that, that the Sandman isn't technically a good wrestler and i think it shows what a bang up job they did at one night stand 2005 to be honest because i, I we spoke about, again at length about that when we did one night stand last year and i remember saying it's kind of like a, a medley it's kind of like a little a greatest hits package that best one set yeah that one match it's like a we're, I'm, we haven't got time to put all of the all of our la- all the songs that we've got left in this in this set so i'm just gonna do a whole medley of different songs Grease mega, thi- mega mix Megamix, mega yeah that's good that's a good uh, comparison well do
0: you know what? olivia newton john died last night that's true she, she, Lesser,
1: did. she so did. yeah yeah, yeah totally. um, and i think it shows how good they got that medley that you matt thought that the sandman was a decent wrestler having watched it because this is much more what i expect from the Sandman Uh, and I think again this is going to be another really interesting case study in whether in-ring wrestling actually matters not necessarily in terms of enjoyment of the show or your enjoyment of the show or my enjoyment of the show but just in terms of commercial success whether it really matters because again this is this is pretty standard this is not you know, this is not like, oh, my God, that was a terrible main event. This is pretty standard for ECW. In honest, in all honesty, let's talk about the match for a moment. Let's actually list out what happened. So we've got the main event is the Dudley Boys, which is Bubba Ray, Devon and Big Dick Dudley. Mm. And they are against the Sandman, Tommy Dreamer and Spike Dudley in a street fight. Uh, The Dudleys are accompanied by Joel Gertner, sign guy Dudley and judge. Well, he's not Judge Jeff Jones by this point. He's just referee Jeff Jones. It's a 14 and a half minute match and it ends when Bubba misses a splash on a ladder and then Dreamer pins him after a DDT on that same ladder. And I thought it was the worst match of the night. I thought it was the absolute worst match of the night. And, And actually, I'll tell you this now. I think the quality overall dips all night long. So basically it goes on one long trajectory down for me. That's not to say that the drop off was particularly big at the beginning, but by the end the drop off is noticeable. And problem- and this is just a this is just a mess of brawling and poorly executed moves and trying to do things just to make spots out of everything. Well, the problem is as well is that when the match
0: starts from when the Dudleys start heading to the ring, there's still 40 minutes left to go on the fucking pay-per-view. <laughs> Yeah. So the Dudleys come out and do an god long fucking promo. And it's not good. Like it's it's not good. It's just it's proper cheap heat in terms of like, you know, just this town sucks. I hate you all. Goula Magula slutty. Um yeah.
1: I was, was with I was with your mother last night, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: It's just <laughs> really, really- Base level is not clever. You know what I mean? It's not even. You know, it's just, it's just bad.
1: And to be honest, the crowd don't. They, the Dudleys
0: don't even get that much heat on them from it either. There's not even that much heat on them. So it seems like a complete waste of time. Because that was the thing I wrote in there. So there's still 40 minutes ago, but presumably the majority of that will be taken up by the Sandman's entrance. But I was wrong. <laughs> Because yeah. they all come, they all come down together. Tommy Dreamer, Spike Dudley, and Sandman all come down at the same time with ladders to one piece of music. They do have a bit of a beer. Tommy Dreamer doesn't really look like he's enjoying the beer, if I'm being honest. And there's quite a nice bit where Joey Styles, who we will talk about quite a lot, I imagine, or I will anyway, does say that um, Spike Dudley can't handle it because he's too small. He's got a low tolerance, <laughs> which I thought was lovely. But I was very disappointed during the entrance that the Sandman didn't get on top of the ladder and wank off the old Singapore cane because he's <laughs> quite known to do that. But they might look of my notes for this is that i wrote at the end of it god this entrance goes on for a bit and that is literally half of my notes about the match is about how long the fucking entrances are on it in terms of the actual match it's a it's a street fight but they start tagging in and out at the beginning for the first like five minutes. Tommy Dreamer and Devon Dudley attempt to do some wrestling, and <laughs> it's, it's dreadful. <laughs> i like I got to it. say, it's going back to what Matt said just now. And now, again, it's a credit to how over the character is. But I genuinely think that the Sandman might potentially be the worst wrestler of all time, <laughs> 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 with with a big reputation. I suppose I should say. You know I mean, I know he hasn't got a reputation as a big wrestler, as a great wrestler. But in terms of if you talk about wrestling as encompassing everything. Thing, not just the technical thing in terms of he's probably the the most over shittest wrestler of all time <laughs> maybe look into some mid-south junkyard dog stuff perhaps back in the day but Sandman is, is absolutely dreadful and what I also find really bizarre in the commentaries they kept on saying that Big Dick Dick Dudley is a giant He's about the same height as the Sandman <laughs> when they get into the ring together and what's really weird is that all of a sudden out of nowhere there doesn't appear to be a big brawl in the ring that starts all the mayhem because it goes it basically devolves into a brawl after that little attempt at having an actual wrestling match but there seems to be no reason for it to be sparked off like all of a sudden they're wrestling in the ring and then Devon Dudley and Tommy Dreamer are fighting in the crowd somewhere and like it, where the does this come from
1: Is a Kevin Nash promo in match form
0: big time big time.
1: And it just all
0: descends into chaos. And Sandman hits the worst hurricane run I've ever seen on 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 Bubba on the top rope. So much so that he puts one leg up first and then hoists his other leg up and he hangs onto the rope as he as he's going down. It's absolutely dreadful. And there's just like a couple of like mad spots in like Spike Dudley hits a huge big splash from the ladder to the outside, which is pretty impressive but at the same time terrifying. There's one bit where Sandman does his old classic falling, falling down the stairs, somersault sent on. On to Devon on the ladder which Devon sells absolutely phenomenally he starts off led on the mat doing the old Hulk Hogan slash Didier Drogba seizure selling on the very, very flap around, and then all of a sudden he starts knee walking across the ring with his arms in the air it's tremendous stuff but this is shit <laughs> this is absolutely crap there's no story there's not even an attempt to tell a story in the match there's no attempt to put together a cohesive reason why, I mean they, they talk about the reason why it's happening is because the Dudley boys 3D Buda cut and broken neck and that's why tommy dreamer is so mad but if that's the case why i can understand why you might want to have a tag match maybe sandman and tommy dreamer versus the dudleys the two dudley boys who did it who did the act but then to rope in the other one and spike dudley for some reason just seemed a bit didn't really make much sense to me
1: while also completely undercut by the wrestling at the beginning like why yeah. is Tommy Dreamer wanting to wrestle Devon Dudley? Like yeah. you you you're this guy has been one of the two people who've broken your girlfriend's neck and broken your heart in the process, apparently. And you step in, you go, right, we're we gonna tie up then.
0: Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nice nice headlock takedown down into into you know into a chin lock. Lovely old job.
1: This was
2: this was one of my notes at the start, um I got Devon and Tommy and Matt wrestling. What the fuck? But like Very quickly, just to to touch on uh, sort of the you know the the Sandman and and not being very good again. A comparison for me has kind of been Tommy Dreamer because I've I've seen Tommy Dreamer have some matches and he's and he you know he's not very good but he's he's competent. He can hit a clothesline and it looks like a clothesline. (laughs) Again, it's a low bar. (laughs) Yeah, he can put his arm out. (laughs) (laughs) This is what I was thinking of Sandman as, kind of like a Tommy Dreamer. But no, good God, no. I I, I echo some of the points that you said in the match there. I mean, the the, the promo at the start went on forever. I mean, my God, did that drag. I mean, I must admit, I love Sign Guy Dudley. (laughs) He had had me cracking up, you know, just the, the, the different amount of signs midway through this match. You know, like, you pay to see this sign or whatever, just complete juvenile bullshit but it, it had me giggling so it, it worked on me but yeah the, the match was just absolutely fucking bedlam it, it was worked for that crowd specifically and not and and I don't think for you know the, the wider audience watching on pay per view because particularly when they just went fucking everywhere all in the crowd nobody knew who was where it, it was he was just trying to pop the crowd for oh you know look somebody did a big spot over there somebody's done a big spot over there and it, it just it didn't really work I mean the the post match with with New Jack coming out I mean you know didn't New Jack you know came out and went absolutely fucking mental at the end. I mean, picking up the you know the, the shopping trolley and throwing it at people. I mean, Christ, that's insane. <laughs> that really sort of took me aback, and I always knew he was batshit crazy, so it was kind of cool to see that being confirmed. But yeah, a, a, as a match, I mean, ugh, it, it really wasn't pretty, was it?
1: So a couple of things so first of all obviously sam and we discussed that yes he's rubbish fine but it's amazing what they were able to get out of him i think he was a three-time world champion in the end in ecw during a period when ecw grew phenomenally quickly to an almost almost national concern i wouldn't quite give them that lofty status to be honest but they almost got there they got onto pay-per-view they got themselves a network deal and in the midst of that climb the Sandman not only was a three-time world champion but also was featured very very heavily his entrance was obviously iconic and that's what mattered about the Sandman and it got everybody in the mood and then he just hit people with weapons and it got him through to be honest though that's what I think about a lot of ECW's top stars in truth, I think the Dudley boys are really interesting because I think they are terrible in ECW. I think genuinely one of the worst acts in ECW. I don't understand. I don't know if it's revisionist history or it's just something I didn't get at the time. But I always felt like the Dudleys were the worst part of every ECW show I ever watched because they always do these long promos, these long, boring, juvenile, cheap heat promos. They do them every single day time and they're really dull they're not good wrestlers they they improved massively after moving to wwe and continuing on through their career not that they were superb top-notch super workers but they were far better and far tidier once they went to wwe than before that so i've i've never liked them in ecw and i think that they were like they always are in this, which was, for me, pretty dull. So another really interesting thing. Yeah, it's just not a good match in my view. And it's a shame because it's it kind of feels completely out of step with the rest of the show as well. Mm. It's just a completely different thing. Then finally, New Jack. So I was grateful that this was all we got of New Jack on this show. Yeah. The last two shows we've watched, there's a big old fucking long segment in the middle of the show with New Jack's music, which has obviously been dubbed over as well. Tom, I seem to remember you'd remembered the lyrics to the dubbed over mm-hmm. music the last time we yeah, saw it.
0: Like, it's like ghetto life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Perfect.
0: Uh, that was like, in the ghetto. Oh, fuck. Right, hang on. Just it's not on. an
1: Elvis Presley song, mate. You've got that, and in previous shows, it's just been in, just interminable and just so long and so boring and then right at the end insanely dangerous so it was good to see here New Jack come out for like 3-4 minutes at the end and just clear the house and it'd be quite you know it'd be almost quite fun which again New Jack wasn't a wrestler like, like the Sandman he just didn't wrestle he just walloped people with weapons and it got massively over it was just another part of the show I think it's just I think it's just very, very interesting the way ECW were able to be successful with actually quite limited personnel.
0: It's no surprise when a man dies and nobody cries in the ghetto. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at my notes from the old <laughs> from the old episode of ECW. Amazing. Did.
1: So my talking point is going to be Rob Van Dam. As I said, I've seen this show a number of times. And in the past, I didn't like Rob Van Dam and Sabu against Hayabusa and Chen Zayshin Zaki. Here... I appreciate it a whole lot more than I have done in the past. And I think that's because on our SummerSlam 91 episode we recorded for last week's show, we spoke briefly about Bret Hart as someone that's unique. I can't think of anyone who's quite like Bret in terms of what he does and how he works. Someone who can work a very realistic looking style, but it also be entirely in keeping with WWE's safe style as well, which is quite difficult to pull off, I think, to make something look so realistic when you're effectively working in a very safe, low-impact environment. Rob Van Dam is similarly unique. There is Nobody who wrestles like Rob Van Dam, he's got a style all of his own. And especially when he's in ECW, he in WWE toned it down somewhat, became a little bit copy and paste just because that's what WWE do. Right. They've got each wrestler's got three or four trademark moves. they got to get them in every every single match because that pleases the crowd and then. Their match ends. It's kind of very, very formatted. In ECW, he had a bit more freedom. Well, he had lots of freedom to do what he wanted, basically. And his style was so different that even though I don't love it, absolutely, like I don't think it's the most amazing thing ever, I just really appreciate it. I found it very, very, really refreshing just to see the way Rob Van Dam worked. And this match, I think, is messy in places. I think it's, you know, a little bit not, it's a bit rough around the edges. But just because of the unique nature of Rob Van Dam, and I guess, probably the same actually so the same degree sabu who's incredibly you know he's one of a kind as well that just to watch them is great and also i love jin sations hakushi too so that didn't that didn't hurt and i just i i just said i wasn't expecting to like it um anywhere near as much as i did but i enjoyed it a lot more than i had done previously just to give you An example of perhaps why previously I hadn't liked it is 21 minutes long. It's the ECW World Tag Team title match. Rob Van Dam and Sabu against Hayabusa and Jinsei Shinzeiki. It ends uh, when both Sabu and Rob Van Dam deliver a move from the top on both Jinsei Shinzeiki and Hayabusa, who are draped over a table and they crash them through that table in the process. Tom, what did you think of this match?
0: Didn't love it, but I didn't hate it either. I thought it was okay. It was kind of what I expected, to be perfectly honest. What I really, really like about the pairing of Rob Van Dam and Sabu is the is the dynamic between them, in the sense that Rob Van Dam is a dickhead, egomaniac, who constantly puts himself over and then just about recovers in time to say, oh no, Sabu, you're good too. He basically gaslights him through the entire through the entire time. And I thought that was I thought it was an interesting dynamic that they kind of carry on into the match. So it kind of does it, they do it in the promo, but it also carries through into the match. What I loved as well is that obviously Sabu's like this unhinged kind of lunatic, homicide or suicide or genocide or maniac. And he's on the touchline. Uh on um, touchline, fucking hell. He's uh he's he's about to take a throw-in. Um no, he's uh he's on the the apron and he is just like pacing back and forth trying to grab at stuff he tries to grab the referee at one point he's trying to swing at people and he's constantly getting told there's one bit where he like runs into the ring to get involved and the referee has to like tell him to get away and everything that was just really nice because i like the fact that he's obviously like a bit unhinged and he acts like on the apron i like you thinking i mean i haven't seen i've only seen a very few matches i'm I'm gonna say i'm gonna call him Hakushi and red trousers (laughs) <laughs> Just to so let you know, but um, I like I really liked Takushi. What little I saw of him in in WWE I mean, Ultimate to me. His main thing is a match against Bret Hart, so you know I've got to hold him in high regard in that sense. But there's a couple of really cool spots that he does. He does a really cool like rope walk where he walks across one rope and then across the other, which is great. He nearly kills Rob Van Dam with a drop kick to his back, to the back of his head when he's not paying attention. It looks like he nearly kills him, and he hits a wonderful like Pele kick. I suppose, but he actually like spins up like he spins all the way around. It puts older AJ Styles to shame. And the same with, with um red trousers as well. Red pants. <laughs> he he does he does a wonderful German suplex with the bridge at one point in it. There's a great double team move from those lads where the Hakushi hits a power bomb in the red pants. It's a beautiful four fifty on on the uh, Sabu, I think it's straight away. And this is really cool. Did you not guys notice that Sabu gets a splinter? at one point in the match No, I did set, not. setting up a table and you see him going kind to of go fuck hell and he bites his finger he's <laughs> like clearly got like a beast of a splinter but it's just it's a bit messy it's a bit chaotic and it doesn't take long for the match to delve into chaos going from the normal tag format into as you said like as I said like chaos but it was it was all right it it was kind of exactly what I expected expected from it there's a couple of like I said some cool spots um, there's a Sabu mad splash into the crowd with which it always pops the crowd, but they don't spend too much time out there. The majority of the chaos happens inside the ring, which I do appreciate because I do. I'm starting to find myself more and more thinking, well, what would this cost of living crisis going on in Britain at the moment? If I paid money to go to a wrestling match and all the wrestling was happening in the crowd and not in the ring, I'd be really annoyed. So I appreciate the fact that they the fact that they spent a lot of time in the ring. But overall, this was this was okay.
2: What did you think, Matt? I'm really glad that you brought up rvd is a talking point rvd has always been a really polarizing figure to me personally I, I started watching wrestling around about 2001 rvd had just come in as part of the invasion and was super popular and for a time i i enjoyed him and and to be honest I thought he was quite cool as well as time got on i really started to dislike him Partially because of what you mentioned, Benny, in terms of, and it might not necessarily be his fault, but the formula of his matches was very similar. It, you know, the the kick, the rolling thunder, the frog splash, the, it, it just became the most repetitive like I God, I think John Cena has more moves than RVD did at that point. And it really used to bug me. So the second that this match started, I was fascinated because I'd heard so much of the ECW RVD and how awesome he was. And you know what? I can see what they were talking about. Within seconds of this match, I mean, I, I've literally got it written down in my notes now. Within seconds of the match starting, it's more different than any RVD match I've ever seen. Because he could do what he wanted and he did have that freedom. And yeah, okay, he hit some signature stuff. And that's fine. But as long as you sort of pepper it in there with you know something original and different... And that's what I felt he did. So I, I completely agree with you in that his style is unique and it was fascinating to watch in this match. The match as a whole, I do think Rough Around the Edges is, is probably the best way to describe it. it wasn't the best tag team match I've ever seen. Wasn't the worst. There was some good stuff in you, you know, there was so, definitely some unique sort of kicks, you know, that that top rope spot. You, again, I, f- I forget his name, somebody remind me, but walking across the top rope there. I mean, my God, I thought you did that better than Undertaker ever, ever had done, which is probably not fair because Undertaker's a big guy, but whatever.
1: I was going to say, he put Undertaker to shame, didn't he? Let's be honest. Yes, yes, it did. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, good e- God, that's amazing. Even the even the strike put Undertaker to shame you know I mean Undertaker's this big sort of lumbering Lumbering, clubbing blow to the back Jinsei Shinseki just chopped the hell out of someone's arm just so much better
2: yeah it it was and I mean there was just, there was like so much good, you know, there was some good stuff in here, you know. RVD and Sabu is a tag team, you know, they, they really are a unique tag team, I'll give them that. And the, the only thing that brought this match down for me is, and I know it was sort of part of the storyline that RVD and Sabu were bickering, but it just took so long for them to get going at the start of this match that my interest dropped almost straight away. I was like, oh, come on, just do something. So it it did take me quite a while to get into the match, but like I said, it, it 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 was it was okay, not not the best match I'd ever seen, not the worst, you know. It was it was a, it was a fairly good and you know passable tag team match.
1: I'm gonna put forward the motion that had Rob Van Dam left W uh, left ECW in 1999, ECW wouldn't have survived the last year of its existence because he was really the draw by the end there was pretty much everyone else had gone other than sandman and tommy dreamer and they were quite past their sell by that in fairness and not only that but no w- one had ever <laughs> well WWE did WWE did remember well, sandman. Yeah. yeah yeah um they gave but- it back we're like, Bleh. yeah they gave it back yeah basically yeah um but also like they, they did their best to create new stars but they were losing stars too quickly to replenish the roster, and they were very lucky that Rob Van Dam stuck with them really till the end because I don't, I honestly believe they'd have gone out of business a lot earlier than they did. And there's a reason why he was so popular and so over and such a draw for them is that he was just so different, just so different from anything else you saw. And his character was amazing. Like his character in WWE was shit. It was stoner, it was it was just a stoner. But in ECW he was this really arrogant, but everyone loved him because he was so fucking good as well and he had this amazing relationship with sabu which almost grounded him in a way it kind of made you like him because he it was kind of even though he was constantly trying to overshadow him or put him in the in the sidelines he still had that kind of human side of almost of, of a relationship with someone which just made him a really interesting and intriguing character the like of which he just never was again when he turned up in 2001 in wwe he was massively over because again he was doing things that nobody else was doing he just worked a completely different style i think what happened though is that he never he was basically on the brink of being the top star in the company almost at one point and certain wrestlers got near vince and other people in the company and said this guy is dangerous and he then subsequently toned down his style, which made his whole act a lot more dull, and ultimately never really uh, recovered. I mean, he did have the run in 2006, which was again curtailed by his own drug use. But ultimately, he he was just great at this time, and and I really appreciate watching him. And to be honest, I, I, it was only when I was talking about it I realized that Sabu was such a big part of that because Sabu himself was also so was also unique. There was no one like him either, and he in particular, you, you want to talk about kind of a guy that. Did something and popularized a style that was so out there. So we've obviously covered some match- some shows from 1995. Matt, you saw in your house one but later that year. He joins WCW, shows up on Nitro, and has a bunch of matches on Nitro where he works Sabu's style, and people are like freaking out because they've never seen anything even remotely close to what he's doing. So I think this is kind of encompasses or, or encapsulates the whole show. Is that you kind of have to watch it with a grain of, but no one was doing a lot of mm. this stuff at the time. And that's kind of where it's very difficult to watch it through 2022 eyes and give it a fair viewing because loads of people do this stuff now and do it better with better production values and better scale levels and safer as well. But at the time, nobody was doing anything like it. And yeah, I, I really, I I enjoyed this match a lot more than I, than I thought I would, given that I'd obviously seen it a number of times before. So we'll take a, a quick break, I think. That's a good place to take a break. And we'll come back and cover the rest of the show, which includes four matches. Eight wave. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 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 We'll see you on the other side.
3: He Wave 98, baby! Sensaki, Hayabusa, Kimaki! I don't care what your name is, Japanese superstars, but you're gonna be a big, fat loser! Zero! Pay-per-view, he Wave 98, it's Mr. Monday Night! Daddy right, and right. Sabu, that's the superstars! You gotta face tonight, brother! Come on, Fonzie, I mean, we're here, relax already. We're here because Mr. Monday Night brought us to the top, right? Like I said I was going to Sabu. Already worth the money they spent on tonight's pay-per-view event. It's Rob Van Dam, everybody's favorite. And you too, Sabu. And they all want to see Rob Van Dam and you, my partner, Sabu, defend my World Tag Team belts. Hey, these belts are recognized worldwide, brother. The contenders tonight come all the way from Japan. We got the two top guys from Japan, Akushi! you. They're gonna be losers. That's what we're gonna call you. From now on, you are losers. Japanese losers. We're the superstars, baby. And that makes me, of course, the winner. After tonight, Rob Van Dam's record's gonna be 6 and oh. Hey, come on, Sabu, relax. We all know who really won that last match. Hey, it was right down the middle, daddy. It doesn't make you bad losing to Rob Van Dam. It just makes you like everybody else. Don't worry about it. And tonight, Hakusi! Bless you. And what's, what's the other guy? I don't know, but the Japanese losers. That's their name. They're gonna They're gonna find out what I'm trying to teach you, Sabu, and what everybody else has already learned. Rob Van Dam is the whole fucking show.
1: Okay, welcome back. So as I said, we got four matches, and before we went away, Tom sounded a bit like a bins wrestler briefly.
0: I did, I did. You always need to you always need to keep an eye on them. Because so I tell you what, I was thinking the other day. Who was I thinking about the other day? Oh, do you know what? I was just thinking to myself about Drew McIntyre. I was thinking of the clash at the clas- castle, which I've been thinking about quite a lot. So everyone needs to remember that he's just a clean shave away from being a bins wrestler again, isn't he? He's <laughs> a clean shave away from being yeah, bins, 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 bins. <laughs>
1: Uh, it doesn't make any. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, if anybody's w- wondering and, and doesn't know what he's talking about, it makes no sense. There's no explanation that makes any sense to that stuff. <laughs> So the ECW Heatwave 1998 show Begins with Joey Styles Kicking off the show in customary fashion His co-host for the night is Shane Douglas And he's the uh, colour commentator with Joey Styles on this one He comes out and says cut the fucking music The music that is once again dubbed over Which is a shame This is, I think this is also another major problem With these ECW exactly. shows watching them Is you've just can't. you got all the dubbed over music Because they're using licensed stuff And so it, you just don't get the same feeling from it all Which I'm sure would infinitely enhance new jazz and the Sandman's appearances on every show that they're on.
0: When Shane Douglas came out, I was like, oh God. (laughs) Because I I really detest Shane Douglas. And I really don't like, I really detest Joey Styles. And I was like, oh Christ, this is going to be awful.
1: I love both. (laughs) (laughs) So Douglas says he's excited to see Bigelow get his hands on Taz and says Bigelow has promised to put Taz through the fucking concrete floor. There is then a show your tits chant, to Mm. your point Matt, a few weeks ago about a crowd that does that while ECW decided to go there. I wanted to talk about Shane Douglas because I also equally dislike Shane Douglas, but I think he's an excellent commentator. I think he's an excellent analyst. What's interesting here is throughout the show he plays the character as well. So there's the match the tag team match we've already spoken about. He doesn't say very much but Joey stars covers for it by saying that he's effectively writing out loads of notes about all of the people in yes. the match because he's scouting them because they're all potential challengers to his world title he also during the Bigelow Taz match gets heavily invested in it because he wants he wants Taz to be to be defeated but when he's not in character which I think is fine, to be in character for those is fine because it makes sense but when he's not in character his commentary is absolutely brilliant I've always appreciated his commentary on this show and he is just I, I I mean, it feels like he's missed his vocation because I don't think he's much of a wrestler, but his his commentary is is outstanding.
0: Like I said, I thought fuck me, these two together is gonna be awful, but I thought they were both very good because I do I like I said it still doesn't change the fact that I really dislike Shane Douglas and I really dislike Joey Stars, but on this show they're both quite good together. But Shane Douglas is sweating profusely when he comes out. As he, he must have been coked off his head in the back because he's just sweating up an absolute storm. There's one bit that I did think was a bit weird because um, obviously um there's a bit obviously after the show your shit, show your tits Chan. show your shits. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: we'll have to get that one started at Clash of the Ch- uh, Definitely. Clash of Castle.
0: Shane Douglas comments on Joey Starr's attire and he says, oh, my suit is double-breasted, like Francine. And then she grabs his face and just wangs him in Between abuse. You're not seeing Greta Monsoon doing that. Are (laughs) you?
1: She says she says that I bet it didn't cost you six grand though, like these, and Mm -hmm. then shoves his face into her
0: chest very much a moment of the time I'd say
2: you know literally like minutes in and I was thinking bloody hell I mean you, you can easily tell that how much of a focal sort of a focus point that sex appeal was for the, this crowd it was so evident straight away it was just funny
1: again it was you know all of this stuff because in 1998 obviously WWE was doing a lot of this stuff as well already but they'd been doing it for years before this and no one else had so again it's another thing which is difficult to see as a kind of unique thing to ECW now but it was originally they were the only ones doing it we then get the ECW standard intro, uh, which happens on our, every show, effectively, before our opening contest of the night, which is just incredible. who is accompanied by Jason, Nicole Bass and Chastity against Jerry Lynn in a 14 and a half minute match. And this one ends when Lynn sets up Credible on the top rope, but Credible counters with a That's Incredible, which is a Tombstone Piledriver from the top to win the match. Matt, your thought? This was a damn good match. And to that point, it was my match
2: of the night. You know, I I know you mentioned in terms of the show being on a bit of a sort of a slope, and I I think it started right here. It started really high. Like I said, for me, this was the match of the night. And it slowly kept dipping throughout the rest of the show, in, in terms of quality. I, it just kept going downward, I felt. But yeah, the the, the match as a whole, is, it was one of the, in fact, it, it was one of the first of Just Incredible matches I've seen. And I've always been interested to, to see if he's any good. And at least based on this, he's pretty good. He was a good, good little worker. Jerry Lynn, I've always been a fan of. I've seen quite a few Jerry Lynn matches. Love him. Thought this was really good. What was the one, the, the girl's name as well? Is it, is it Nicole Bass, the, the, the big the big girl? Nicole Bass. I mean, I, I can only assume that was potentially their answer to China at the time. It got to the point where it was a little bit distracting, where, you know, some of some of the you know her and I can't remember the other one I'm terrible at this today. One, thank you very much. On the outside, we just causing so much sort of interference and just having so much back and forth with the crowd that for me it became a little bit distracting. I, th- I think the guys in the ring noticed that as well, but yeah, like I said, that you know the, there was some really good stuff in this. The finish I thought was absolutely insane. I got to be honest. I mean, it, it's one of those that let's face it, when it, you know, it's the same as any wrestling move when it's done right and it can be as safe as anything, but my god. the the risk factor on doing a tombstone off the top i was just like
1: was
2: a little bit you know cringe for me but hey they pulled it off it worked like i said i i thought this was a really great match and a really fantastic start to the show Oh, matches,
0: all right. I mean, it's it's just incredible and and Jerry Lynn, two very capable hands in the ring. Admittedly, I haven't actually seen that much of Jerry Lynn. We saw him live at Ring of Honor, didn't we? I think he won the title, didn't he? And I also remember seeing him at another ECW pay-per-view in a match against Rob Van Dam, but I can't remember much more than that. It was all right, but the problem is I didn't find that there was any kind of, any real story in the match as such. I, I didn't find there to be lots of impressive spots, lots of good moves, but there seemed to be a lot of just nice bits of action without any kind of real reason behind it if you will the notes I've got here for a start it looks fucking boiling in there it looks absolutely roasting in this arena in Dayton Ohio which I was very happy that uh, on commentary Shane Douglas said it is fucking hot in here you can't imagine what it must be like going in the ring because these guys must be absolutely boiling and I was like well, that's vindication because I just thought that so <laughs> that was that was quite nice to be vindicated by Shane Douglas there is some nice chain wrestling at the beginning and, and I've said this before on the podcast that my bugbear is when when chain wrestling happens and then they both pose and look at each other, whereas Just Incredible looks visibly annoyed that he that he's just been not even necessarily bested, but that he hasn't been able to come out on top in that exchange, which is really good. There's about 35 power bombs in this match. There's an an absurd power amount of power bombs, power bombs or tiger bombs. Yes, yeah, sit out <laughs> Batista <laughs> bombs. There's loads of Batista bombs in this match. Um which did get a little bit tiresome, but there's just these little bits that Just Incredible does that I really liked in the match. There's a bit where Jerry Lynn's in the in the corner, kind of like on the uh, like leaning on the bottom rope in the corner and um just incredible puts a chair like against him and runs into him with like a running knee and then sells his knee afterwards it's just lots of these nice little touches that kind of go into it there's a beer to the head shot from just incredible and jerry lynn where he grabs a uh beer from a very very well placed beer in the crowd and hits someone on the head with it and there was a really good bit of analysis from shane douglas in this when he's talking about lynn um who's lighter than just incredible not spreading his legs to get more leverage on the pinfall attempt which i just thought was brilliant i thought it was brilliant there is an impressive hurricane runner off the top to the outside through a table but at this point i'm kind of thinking to myself this is the first match like we're going to see so much more of this so really more people going through tables but then again it's ECW so you kind of got to expect that but there's still women getting hit in this uh, which I even though they're the heels I just still don't like it I mean Nicole Bass is one thing because she is enormous and in fact I believe at one point Joey Stiles says they should call her Russia because she's so much bigger than China which is a little dig obviously but then Chastity gets a pile driver and I just didn't really didn't really like it and then Joey Stiles says says that she deserves it and then <laughs> Jane Douglas goes what you're about to say is I don't condone violence." violence against women but that kind of puts, puts him in his place a little bit but I'm, I'm never gonna i'm never gonna be massively you know on board with a match that contains a woman being tombstoned. <laughs> you know what i mean like it's a pretty pretty heavy move to hit on someone and speaking of tombstones that fucking tombstone off the top rope is mental and i know you kind of covered it matt but i was watching and i was like that's so fucking dangerous like that is probably the most dangerous move i think i've ever seen and obviously they're both two very very seasoned hands two very good wrestlers and they're they look reasonably safe in terms of you know, and as safe as you can be when you're fucking doing a tombstone off the top rope. And it obviously t- catches Joey Stiles off guard because at the end of it he's doing his Jerry Lawler, quiet voice. He's like, Jerry Lynn's he's not even moved, he's just a tombstone off the top rope, he's not even he's not even, he's not even saying anything, Shane and Shane Douglas is like ah he's not even saying anything, not doing anything. But yeah, it was it it was okay. It was okay. It's just I thought I thought it was a bit much, if I'm being honest.
1: I am with the polar bear this is my match of the night. I thought this was a really really good match. I thought it was it's really good. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often, but I did I thought this was <laughs> excellent. I just, I thought it was really excellent. I, I, I can kind of take your point about the lack of story, but I, I just felt like, as with all of my most, all of, probably all of my favourite matches, it feels like a, a, a match where, from the very beginning, both men are trying to win. Like, they're trying to get the quick pin because they, you know, ultimately you would, wouldn't you? You don't want to get beaten up, so you want to get the quick pin. And they, and from there, it just, they, every time they hit a move, a big move, they try and get the pin and that's just for me that's just that should be wrestling one on one. I I think it and it angers me. I find it very poor to be honest quality from so many matches throughout time ultimately where they hit each other big moves and they don't even go for pins. You know there's no no attempt to try and win the match at any point until right near the end. It's just it's just silly to me. So I think it's a, a really good match. I think it was massively helped by Shane Douglas's commentary though. So obviously Tom you mentioned the legs being spread during the pin to increase the level Average of the pinfall that was amazing but also you also mentioned the heat so he went to, when he's talking about the heat he is saying that these two guys must be exhausted you've got to remember he's hard doesn't come across on the camera but they are under the TV lights it is absolutely boiling in here so again he's, he's, he's giving a, a perspective on a sporting perspective on the match which I just thought was just I, I said I, I feel like he's missed his vocation this is what he seems to be meant to have done yeah really really enjoyed it I don't have quite so much of an issue with the violence at the end tom i think mainly because they are positioned as heels and also again i guess it's difficult i i understand i don't like when they do it as an elevated pop if that makes any sense so he wouldn't have got the same pop for tombstone and jason no. that's where i don't like it but if it's just part of the story it's less of an issue for me It's just it's just because they do it because they know the fans are going to like it more which shows you that it is about violence against women not just violence against someone they dislike that's Where I have an issue with it Nicole Bass So Matt Were you not aware Nicole Bass was in WWE Briefly Never heard of her Never seen her before She was with Val Venus 99 She was in 99. 99 She was with Val Venus Very briefly Well for two or three months uh they were a little little pairing and uh she i don't know what happened in the end and i think i got this vague memory that she ended up suing wwe for sexual harassment i can't remember exactly but i got i got a feeling that that's what happened i, I will check that and then if i'm wrong i'll delete that out of the episode um and if it stays in i'll keep all this commentary just to show you how, <laughs> how, how the process works um
0: yeah go go, go and show them the sausage factory take
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, really good. So the second match of the night is Lance Storm versus Chris Candido. Chris Candido brings out a special surprise for everybody prior to the match as Tammy. Lynn Sitch is with him, obviously Sunny. the Looks ma- off her fucking head as well. <laughs> the match is 11 minutes in length and Candido goes to the top and hits a powerbomb from the top to get the victory. Tom, tell us what you thought of this one.
0: Again, this match was all right. That's going to be my expression, I think, for the majority <laughs> of this, beat, this this event. I felt a bit sad watching it. If I'm being honest, I felt a bit sad for poor little Chris Candido because he we commented this commented on his physique, I believe, when we covered Starcade 2000. I think it might have been. It was. Um, it was
1: slambury 2000.
0: slambury 2000. Yeah, where he is far too big for his frame. He looks absolutely enormous. He looks so unnaturally um, ripped and. And it kind of made me think he's puffing really qu- early into the match. Like, he looks completely gassed really early on. And I was thinking to myself, you're not you're not in a good way. On to the good bits of it, though. Sony gets a massive pop when she comes out, which is which is quite nice, because obviously they completely unexpected. And Candida's got this, got like a wrestling helmet on, and does a little Rick Steiner impression and starts running around the ring and barking, which, which I find amusing. And then they explain that his ear got ripped off by Sabu in a match previously. There's a bit where Candida goes for a pin after a snapmare takedown. In the beginning, I was like, yes, go on. <laughs> Imagine if it, And the more the more wrestling shows I watch, the more I'd love it if just randomly a match ended like that, just after a completely innocuous move. It'd keep you on your toes, wouldn't it? Um, there's a lovely long vertical suplex from Chris Candido, and there's a bit where uh Tammy or Sonny says to the referee, "Hey ref, you suck." <laughs> and Shane Douglas finds it incredibly amusing on commentary. <laughs> it's a lovely little laugh at it. But again, there's more diving into the crowd. Second match of the night, Lance Storm does a cross body of the top rope into into the front row. But one thing I will say about that movement that Landstorm does, he hits a spinning heel kick off the top rope, which is a thing of absolute beauty that would make
1: Viscera jealous. No, 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 no. no. Viscera is still the best. Spinning ass kick. I was going to say spinning ass kick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, there's about 35 Tiger Bombs in this match as well. I was like, I've just seen that in the last match. (laughs) I was thinking to myself there's a slightly toned down, less intense interesting version of the last match until Tammy gives Chris Candido uh, uh, some bag I've written down here, some coke, which Lance manages to get in Candido's eyes, uh, who then punches the ref
1: <laughs> <This is> lovely. <laughs>
0: this is really lovely at that point Lance Storm goes to the top rope and Tammy starts rubbing Lance Storm's bum very tenderly S- starts sexually assaulting him yeah yeah, and then, then crotches him on the top rope the referee who's still kind of recovering is staggering around and then Chris Candido tries to roll up the ref which is absolutely amazing and on his way down he accidentally grabs Tammy's top and nearly pulls the boobs out and <laughs> it's just like, I was like this is absolute comedy gold at the end of this <laughs> match which I was not expecting but that bit in the match that I was just I was chuckling to myself about that for ages and yeah the, the win again is another mental move where Candido hits Lance Storm with a powerbomb off the top rope and I was like Christ almighty. Like I, I, it was one of those things where it happened and I was like, if he fucking kicks out of this, then I'm going to be livid. Thankfully, he didn't. I think that kind of little bit of slapstick comedy at the end of that match is earns this match of the night for me.
1: <laughs> despite
0: despite it being a little bit of a toned-down version, it just, I just enjoyed it. <laughs> Rolling up the ref is magnificent. And also, it's that fucking annoying John Finnegan who counts too quickly. That's my thing. But anyway, this is my match of the night because of that little bit of comedy gold in there.
2: This was a good match, right? It, it dipped... For me, quality wise, it dipped just slightly compared to the first one. But before I got anywhere near the match, there was a sign in the crowd that immediately made me think of all of you guys, and I had to share it with you. I don't know if you saw it, but there was a sign of this saying
1: Brett the Mid
2: Carter Heart. Ugh. <laughs> And I just burst out laughing and thought, Oh, I'm gonna to have to share that, aren't I?
1: I think that's I think that's in fairness true at the time. He was pretty much in WSW a He should never that- have been, but he but he was. When Candido came out at the start, I mean,
2: my, my notes pretty much were, good God, he's quite roided up. Um, he was clearly looking massive, which was a little bit uncomfortable to see, but I think we covered that anyway. But it, like I said, that this was a good match. I mean, t- towards the start, there was a, was normally a spot I really don't like is when guys go back and forth with chops. It, it depends on how it's done. If you just sort of stand there and, you know, I hit you, ooh, that hurt, right? You try and hit me harder. Ah, that really gets on my nerves. But the way they done it, was a little bit better than that. It was like they were trying to get the better of each other, and it wasn't just I'm standing there and taking it. So, so that was good. The, yeah, there was another load of power bombs in this, which who knows if they're power bombs or tiger bombs? You have to ask Joey Styles. There was, you know, there was loads of other good moves. I mean, one thing that I did think was uh, a little bit not the best was Lance sort of suplexed Chris Canzido from inside the ring, outside, and <sighs> yeah, yeah, it was just having no mats on the floor is something that. Pisses me off. Like, I, okay, I mean, I listen. I, I don't know. It could be a cost issue. It was ECW, for all we know. Um, but I, I don't know if it was a, a mental tough guy sort of thing where we're not gonna have mats because you know that's what the tough guys do. But it's such a stupid thing to do because you know they they wear elbow pads and knee pads and stuff like that. It's just you know you just to protect yourselves. So that, that I didn't like, but um, I was quite surprised the Lance of all people did it as well. But there we go. And yeah, like I said, as, as we got towards the finish, I mean the the powder, the you know the the, the powder, Powder finish and wrestling once again. They seem to be obsessed with the damn white powder. I don't know what the hell it is. <laughs> for some reason, it's a finish they like. You used the powder. Didn't really work as they wanted it to. And then, yeah, the, the power bomb off the top. Bloody hell. Again, of all people to take it. I mean, Lance Storm as well, who I, I have to give him credit. I mean, for me personally, I think if ever there's a guy who's extremely, extremely, extremely underrated it's Lance Storm I don't think I've ever seen a bad Lance Storm match I just think he deserves a lot more praise than, than he's had but yeah like I said good match slightly different quality compared to the first but enjoyable nonetheless
1: yeah I, I'm pretty much in step with you again Matt I think that this was just a slight step down on the first match it was decent although it did a lot of the same things so it had a very similar end in terms of the, the final move anyway it was kind of technical but not quite as exciting I thought as the as first match on the show but just generally I've always thought this was a very decent match but just a tiny notch below the first one because it Effectively, apes exactly the first one, with the exception, as you said, Tom, of the excellent comedy bit towards the end with Candido rolling up John Finnegan and doing it. John Finnegan doing it really in it inexpertly, as yeah. well, like basically just not <laughs> knowing how to take the schoolboy that uh, Candido gave him. The mats. I want to address that for a second on the outside. So this isn't a rare thing for independent shows to not have mats. I'm assuming that is a cost. That is a cost decision. And you've got to remember that ECW by this point was only about five years, six years old, five, six years old. So it probably was still a hangover of the fact that they were, they didn't do it when they first started, but then probably also became part of the stylized ECW way. And as you you heard Joey Styles talking about, oh, we don't have mats here and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's just, again, how can we show that we're more real than WWE and WCW? And it's funny that because I remember at the time People talking about ECW before anyone anyone at school had seen it. I remember some people saying, "Oh, that's supposed to be real." That ECW, that's supposed to be real. They'd actually convinced people that there was almost like a real fighting league that did wrestling like uh, and, and that was ecw and that was i think very much a conscious effort to do that to say let's sell the idea that oh that wwe stuff's all a bit cartoonish but that ecw man that's crazy shit over there they're, they're properly killing each other so you know i don't i don't hate it but i, I, I but i think Maybe avoid the spot where Candido basically takes pretty much a flat back bump from the top of the ropes, because he's coming down from a suplex, onto that concrete floor and falling very, very hard indeed, because that didn't look nice at all. Absolutely. So yeah, that's where I that's where I was on it. But uh, t- so far for me, two good matches in a row, and I don't think necessarily typical of ECW to have this kind of match. The first two matches on the show, maybe maybe not untypical, but th- the the fact that they were very similar, I think, is not typical. They don't they don't, wouldn't usually do this. I think you'd usually find that they'd go from maybe the just incredible Jared in match to maybe a then lucha match. That's more like the trajectory of an ECW show. This was a bit different. So at the commentators' position next. Start to
0: to, to get the The commentary covered. Sorry, yes, yes.
1: At the commentary covered, Styles introduces something that happened earlier in the parking lot. New Jack is cutting a promo on Jack Victory in front of a bunch of fans outside the arena, and uh, then Jack Victory shows up. uh, But the Dudleys then also turn up in a car and attack New Jack from behind. Then Axel Rotten, Balls Mahoney, and a bunch of security guards also show up, and the heels drive away. Styles then announces that this is the reason a weapons match between New Jack and Jack Victory. won't happen tonight. And at this point, I'm very happy that we didn't get the weapons match between New Jack and Jack Victory.
0: I didn't think a match was going to happen, but I still thought some kind of long, protracted angle. That it was going to take about 20 minutes was going to happen so I wasn't quite relieved at this point that being said I quite liked the kind of chaotic kind of situations around it so Joey was kind of says oh I didn't think we were going to show this earlier yeah. you know what I mean it just kind of adds a little bit of like chaos to it and I couldn't really tell what was going on during this kind of like assault in the car park either which I thought was, was done quite well because you couldn't really tell what was going on because there are so many people involved and so many fans around this stuff one thing I did think was a little bit weird which did make me judge someone a little bit i don't know who i'm judging i'm judging some child's parents because there's a really young kid stood next to new jack whilst he's cutting his promo and i was like this show inappropriate for that kid (laughs) No way, nowhere near and i was like that person's parents are going on my cunt of the week list whoever they are
1: (laughs) i don't keep a record of that so you'll have to keep that as a mental note tom
0: also We get my MVP of the week in this one as well, which is Jack Victory for
1: sparing us a new joke match. (laughs) I think that's fair. I think that's fair. By the way, I should say that my MVP is Shane Douglas, because I just think he's just brilliant on (laughs) commentary. I'm just going to say, I'm
2: going to be really short and sweet on this, to be honest. If the goal of this segment was to confuse the shit out of you, you to have no idea what was happening. Success. I have no clue
1: it's interesting you mentioned earlier on in the show about uh carry and cross showing up on raw this week and i don't know exactly what happened but i understand he's pretty much just in the crowd and then he gets like taken away by security and i was like i'm really interested to see if this is something triple h tries to introduce into the show is a little bit of oh hang on wait a minute what this doesn't seem like part of the format not and and to not do it really expertly so with joey styles here it's, it's rough it's it's weird it doesn't it feels like it's a bit this has gone wrong
2: yeah
1: mm. and i want i want Raw to feel like that now i it's too polished it's too it's too clean all the time i would love it if Raw managed to do some things and wwe managed to do some things on Raw where you were like obviously you know it's all planned but it almost as if they'd produced it wrong and it had gone a little bit wrong and to do that they kind of have to show themselves to not be perfect which is probably really hard to do when you when you have got to the point where you can execute this thing you know absolutely with your eyes closed because you've been doing it for flipping you know 30 years nearly but i i'd love it if they if they got to do some of that stuff and and almost almost did some things that other people weren't expecting so that they then reactions were natural and and that they were it would feel then much more kind of ad hoc and spontaneous which is just something raw has not felt like for years and years and years
0: even though it's not for me i can see the appeal behind ecw mm. do you know what I mean i can see why people liked it because of the fact that there are those there are those those Little bits. I also, going back to way back to the beginning, when we talk about the opening kind of segment. I like the fact that it's just their the t- television show opening. Do you know what I mean? It's just the ECW credits. They haven't got the time or the or maybe the inclination or the ability to be able to produce a specific show opening package no it's going to use the one we've got and that in itself gives you the best of everything that's been on in a snapshot so it entices you into it a bit more as well which I thought was very cleverly done
2: and that theme song is bloody brilliant (laughs) and it's got Paul Heyman on it
0: it's it's amazing when I realised that was Paul Heyman going extreme championship wrestling I was like that's amazing and we'll talk about someone singing their own entrance music later
1: ooh I look forward to that so next up, we get backstage promo with Bill Alfonso, Sabu, and Van Dam, where Van Dam very much does what we uh, talked about earlier on, where he's kind of undermining the importance of Sabu whilst also saying to him, "And you, Sabu, you're great too," all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And meanwhile, Van Dam keeps sneezing the word Hakushi. Um, as a kind of a diss, I suppose, to old Jinsei Zeki, who had previously performed as Hakuchi in
0: WWE. And also you get um, Bill Alfonso just constantly going
1: <laughs> Japanese losers, Japanese <laughs> losers. So we then come to our third match, which is Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka. It's just under twelve minutes in length and ends when Tanaka hits a tornado DDT on a pile of steel chairs for. The victory, Tom. We're going to come to you because obviously I know how much you love the match at ECW One Night Stand, and interested to hear some of your thoughts. As you said, you were, you felt this perhaps kind of cut, undercut the quality of that one.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Well, it's also kind of started off by the fact that I was like, Wow, Masato Tanaka is twenty-five during this match, and he looks—he's yeah. in—he's in the Arn Anderson club. What? Of, always looking forty.
2: Twenty-five.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a God. whippersnapper. And they both, my course and Masato Tanaka, look exactly the same as they do, although. I don't think Awesome's got the mullet no. in, in that match, five, but they look basically exactly the same. And it's just two big bollocks, isn't it? Just swinging at each other. It is basically the same match. What I did like about this over the One Night Stand match is that Joey Stars isn't constantly banging on about how much he hates Mike Awesome. Mm-hmm. which gets really tedious in their match there's a great bit where they have like a sword fight on the outside with chairs yeah. <laughs> which I again it's really enjoyed we chatted about it at the, on the last show we, with the Austin and the Undertaker the Undertaker is like swinging chairs at him like he's trying to decapitate Austin it kind of reminded me of that a little bit Awesome is something else isn't he his agility and the grace in which not only just like his agility but the grace and the control that he has he does a fucking springboard splash He springboards onto the top rope and jumps off it, and it's absolutely phenomenal. It's very, very impressive, and there's a bit where Mike Wilson does this absolutely brutal-looking Alabama slam on, um, on, on Tanaka as well, but it is very, very, very similar to the match at one night stand like you said thinking we would said earlier they do it all the time but there is an absolutely sickening awesome bomb by Tanaka outside the ring and I actually genuinely think that he's concussed after it he looks absolutely fucked and it's a really really uncomfortable viewing considering Mike Orson killed himself you know and and these these head injuries have been shown to kind of give people severe mental health issues and it's, it's very uncomfortable I think the tornado DDT by Tanaka at the end is absolutely unnecessary because that would have been enough. That powerbomb to the outside would and should have been enough because Mike Wilson is clearly absolutely in an, on another planet. And there are some absolutely disgusting unprotected head chair shots in this as well. And now I know everyone's like, at the time you're watching, you're like, ooh, and if I watched it at the time, I'd have been like, that's fucking amazing as well. But just now we live in a world where we know you can't really do that anymore. It made for quite uncomfortable viewing. I did enjoy the match, I will say. But it, had it not been for the comedy gold in the last match this probably would have been my match of the night just because it's basically the same match as another match that i love and it's rwr inductee hall of fame inductee but like i said the similarities were very parallel and it made me think not less of the, the One Night Stand match, but it made me feel that it's not as special as I as I thought it was.
1: Well, I mean, he, Joey Starr says on commentary that the feud between them began in 1994 in Japan. Mm. So effectively, by One Night Stand, they'd been having that match for 11 years. Yeah. And they, they must have had it at least four or five times in ECW as well. So they were very familiar with each other and this was their match and it was actually you know i I think it's worth saying this that was not a rare thing back in the day for two people to have their match that they toured you know it was less about the the draw of them as individuals it was the draw of their match you know that's just what did happen when the wrestling was much more regional and when even later on when it became in, when you were on the independents that people would have their match and people would want to see that and that's what these two did basically they toured the match the one night stand match for me stands out because I feel like there's a pff, I don't know it, a, a, maybe it's just because the whole show one night stand prior to that point actually and one night stand is very not ecw i think it's quite ecw light it's almost wwe produced ecw well, that's but exactly it, what
0: it is isn't
1: it well yeah but like it's almost explicitly that as well like they're almost there's very little in the way of Hardcore wrestling, if you like. Hardcore wrestling is much, much underrepresented in that one night stand show, given what ECW's usual style was. And actually, it's a little bit under, under, underrepresented in in Heatwave here as well. This show, there's not as much hardcore wrestling as there would normally be on an ECW show. But I think that night, it's kind of like, oh, at last, we've got the other side of what ECW was. There's some good wrestling, but there's also really this is what our bread and butter was. So this. It doesn't feel quite so special as that, but it is as good technically, certainly. And again, I would just say just a tiny notch below the previous match, which was a tiny notch below the match before. And I just felt like that's why I said right from the beginning the curve is not particularly steep. It, but it is just gradually dropping off.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with some of the stuff you said there, Ben. I mean, in, in terms of as uh, as a card as a whole, a, again, exactly the same for me. This, this was a good match, but it did continue the trend of just, just slowly starting to go downhill, really. And, and not at a massive rate, but just wasn't as good as the one before. Since we've mentioned you know, a couple of times the, the sort of comparison between the the one night stand match. I mean, for me personally, the one night stand match was much better. Whether or not that was because the guys knew this was their one of their last chances to do that style match one more time and to really hammer the point home. Maybe that was the case I don't know But like You know One of the things You mentioned Tom In, in terms of being You know Uncomfortable with the Chair shots I, I totally understand that I actually felt Compared to what I've seen previously They were quite light Particularly Comparing to the One night stand match I felt And uh, they whacked The shit out of Each other in that To the point of If I watched that back I think I'd find That uncomfortable mm. I, I didn't quite Sort of see that In this match You know The the spot where You know Tanaka you know, sort of Ran at You know Awesome with, with the chair And while he was Standing on apron i thought that was a bit naff to be honest i mean that's that's one of those where hey i'm gonna stand here and wait for you to come hit me you know that's nah they, they could have done without that and the the sort of the, the chair duel sort of thing that yeah that, that wasn't my cup of tea either and i think awesome slightly mistimed it like i think he like mistimed like one swing so tanaka slightly caught him a little bit so he's like oh <laughs> shit i've got to try and catch up so that was funny <laughs> but it was definitely a good match i mean one of the things that really took me aback is how good Mike Awesome is. And to that point, it's why he's my MVP of the night for this show. I was totally taken aback by how massive he is, yet, exactly like you said, guys, you know, how agile he is as well. I mean, bloody hell, the dives over the top rope, you know, the, the stuff that he was, was just, for a guy of that, he should not be doing it for a guy of that size. The powerbomb that he took over the top rope as well, again, that that reminded me of the, the Landstorm I was just thinking, ah, that's just not necessary. I mean, the way he land did sort of, you know, on the back of his head as well on the floor. I was like, oh, come on. Just no. I, I, I know they want to do what they can to please the crowd and, and get their money's worth to everything, but they still could have done it without that. The, the finish, the Tornado DDT, I quite liked. I, I didn't expect Masato Tanaka to win, to be honest. I was actually expecting Orson to win it, but like I said, it was a good match. Not quite up to the standard of the, the one night stand one, but it, it was definitely good all the same.
1: So I think the reason Tanaka won is because he was actually on a bit more of a longer term deal with ECW. And awesome, so he would they were kind of just building Tanaka at the time, but then eventually they'd bring them both in. and I think they actually specifically brought Mike Awesome in to win the world title from Taz when Taz was going to leave for WWF. That he, went well, didn't it? Well, yeah, the table spot. I think there's one exactly the same as this in the one night stand match, but it's on Tanaka and he lands exactly the same, like it's fully on the back of his head and shoulders. Yeah, it's equally as dangerous. Mike Awesome was amazing, like just the way he moved, and and the I also like the. The, just the force of his dives, like yeah. the the splash when he comes down, it feels like a big old man has landed on another man rather than just a really well choreographed dive. It's just not, something not, about not it. Not our old man landing. No, not, on not, so, not yeah. our old man. No, 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 our old man. That a big old man. <laughs> that probably wouldn't hurt very much if old man jumped on you. Yeah. But yeah. In terms of uh, in terms of it's just a big man just basically just falling on someone and causing the most damage possible. And I don't know what happened really. Because he signed for WCW, and then they saddled him with some fucking awful gimmicks. And I, I don't know what happened there. And of course, he then went to the WWE, and I don't know what happened there either. It just didn't, for whatever reason, I think he got labelled as somebody who was dangerous to work with, possibly.
0: I've, I've, I'm sure I've heard somewhere as well that he might be, like, not a very nice person. So I think, like, he'd rubbed people up the wrong way. And like you said earlier, you've got a couple of wrestlers getting in Vince's ear. You know, yeah. you can imagine somebody like, listen, this guy's
2: sloppy in the ring. He's dangerous. He's a fucking prick. Somebody lived in with a bad attitude and then, you know yeah. that's all it takes then, you know, back then, when not they?
1: Well he's also one of those guys that looked to be the kind of wrestler that would be the wrestler of the new millennium. Mm-hmm. You know, like big and fast and able to fly. Interestingly, I think Sean O'Hare was kind of in that same, we had the same kind of idea about him. Again, quite big, muscular, but could fly. But in Sean O'Hare's case, he just didn't really learn to wrestle very well. So it was, more, <laughs> was just a great great athlete, but no Bit real off, talent for it's it. It's just
0: yeah. a slight, you know, it's not much. You know, it's, you know, you've got the look, you've got the athleticism, you've got the physique, you've got the ring attire. It's camp wrestle. Sandman (laughs) hit
2: better clotheslines
1: than you. But to be honest, like in the past, that worked. In the past, that's all you needed, you know? So, Old Warriors are living proof of that. You didn't need to be a good wrestler to get over massively. Let's move on then. So, we've got next up a straight to camera promo by Taz who tells Bigelow he's going to he's going to something tap him, tap him <laughs> out let's just yeah. say that he is the FDW champ and he's the only champ that matters not Austin not Goldberg not Tyson strange <laughs> dropping of Tyson's name I'm not really sure where that comes from and um, he says Bigelow beat him fair and square the last time but he won't do it again
0: I like this promo I thought it was good and I'd forgotten I think it's very <laughs> what's that fucking line from Paul Heyman where you turn Taz from an unstoppable killing machine into a a fat commentator and I can't help but think of old fat commentator Taz as being like a nice jovial you know quite a good quite a nice guy not the best commentator but I reckon you could sit down there and have a laugh with him for three hours doing a pay-per-view with him I forget about him being the intense you know almost MMA style fighter badass that he was in, in ECW and I thought this promo I was like oh yeah he was fucking he was badass he was proper badass and this this really solidified it like I said the Tyson thing's a bit weird you know Tyson can batter you <laughs> you know i would give you a run against goldberg I mean, austin's got a bad neck he'd be easy to beat up i think if you're taz and goldberg you know he's just I don't really know what he's doing
2: but tyson you know could actually batter you so why are you calling him out <laughs> you'd probably be surprised that i'm a big fan of taz and that this sort of you know this personality of taz is exactly what caters to as an mma fan like that, that's like one of the characters for me i mean it was almost as if somebody said bath here you go up here's the character you'd like Loved it. Just an absolute ass kicking, beat the shit out of people. Tough guy who's, you know, legit tough because, you know, he's he's got real fighting moves. Absolutely loved him. Loved the promo as
1: well. It's interesting that WWE these days get so much mileage out of the big fight feel Brock Lesnar matches because that's what Paul Heyman envisaged with Taz as part of his main event as as the champion of ECW when he finally did win the, the title was that big fight field man who would come basically go in and you'd have like a proper almost price fight between two guys and Taz would be this just monster killer. I thought the promo was really good. And I always think he, he comes across really well in ECW. It's just, it's, it's really odd. As I said, like you go through this card and for me, everybody who moved over to WWE, I think, I'm, I'm very quickly scanning the names again. When they moved over, were left than what they were in east w with the exception of the dudley boys and the dudley boys just were shit in ECW, in my view, anyway, and got much better and became much more productive and much more useful when they moved over to the mainstream, which is which is interesting. They ov- they did it the right way around, as far as I'm concerned, because that's where the money was.
0: I um did a bit of reading about the Dudley Boys earlier. I did not realise that Devon and Brother Ray were not the founding members of the yeah. Dudley Boys, and that the Dudley Boys were a stable that were a couple of guys who were part of Raven's flock, who then separated and were a bit of a comedy act until. D- evon turned up as a heel and then they all turned heel believing spike dudley as the one babyface. So i thought that was really interesting how have i never known that before
1: right well, i mean it would have happened in the earlier days of ecw so why, why would you yeah. i'm surprised
0: that i've never heard anyone talk about it ever yeah. Done is, you know, it's what, quite an interesting thing.
1: It's also one of those things where the judgment we have of ECW, especially with a show like ours where we cover pay-per-views, colours our view on what ECW was. Because in truth, the peak creatively of ECW was 95 and 96 before they had a pay-per-view deal. It's largely agreed that that was their creative peak. That's where all the st- amazing storylines were happening. That's when Austin was there. That's when Cactus Jack was there. That's when Benoit and Jericho and Mysterio and Hooventude and Psychosis were all there. It's only after that point, when all those have already gone elsewhere, and ECW finally got pay-per-view in 97 that you start to get we get the shows we're covering because they're the pay-per-views and so and not only that but even Raven was not really there during most of their pay-per-view years and certainly not peak Raven so you get a different perspective on what ECW is or was and you lose some of the idea of why it was so revolutionary and so exciting
0: Do you think that it makes a difference when you are just writing episodic television or, or, or chronological shows. Versus building towards A big pay-per-view
1: do you no, think I maybe... think so. no I don't think so I don't think so I think because I think They were they still Built towards big shows They still built Towards big matches I just think what happened Is that the business side Of ECW got more There was just more Of it to do You know they were And none of that But they were putting On more shows So they were You know when they first started It was basically ECW Arena Once a month And that was it And mm-hmm. then gradually As they got bigger They spread out Across America And of course that means You have to do more shows And it also meant that the ECW arena show was nowhere near as special by the time they were doing pay-per-views you couldn't keep making the ECW arena show special because not only was it not on pay-per-view every time but also it's a lot lower attendance and they were able to draw but I mean this this particular show it draws 4,000 people There weren't, that was four times the size of the ECW arena mm. so it, I think it's just the whole business got bigger and on top of that they were constantly under pressure to try and build more stars because WWE and WCW just kept picking like, plucking the stars out that they wanted wanted for themselves. That's good camera work, man, because uh four thousand it look more than that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah I'll yeah, I'll attest to that. Yeah, definitely.
1: So next up, uh Douglas complains about Taz's fdw title at the commentary uh, cupboard. Is it the commentary cupboard we're calling it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And points to his title. As the only true ECW World Title.
0: There's about four empty cans of Diet Coke in front of Shane Douglas. He has been absolutely mainlining Diet no Diet Pepsi is sorry. He's been absolutely mainlining Diet Pepsi in in the commentary booth, and I can't blame him because he is sweating up an absolute storm. <laughs>
1: A lance storm, maybe.
0: Oh, lovely. Sweating (laughs) up a lance.
1: (laughs) Backstage at Dudleys and Joel Gertner cut a promo about tonight's main event. Gertner says no one will help Dreamer, Sandman and Spike now that New Jack's been uh, taken away. Bubba says that Dreamer can give his soul to Jesus, but his ass belongs to the Dudleys. In a quote from the Shawshank Redemption. And then Devon says, testify.
2: Oh yeah, I forgot that was from. Forgot that was from
1: Shawshank. I mean, it might have been said before that. It probably was just a well-worn phrase, but that's where I heard yeah. it from. I, I thought it was quite a good
0: promo. Lots of uh, religious overtones, I'd say, in it. But I thought I thought it was quite good. I thought it was a very good promo, and it was very well described. By you then, Tinky.
1: Okay. If only they'd left it at this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's because of the religious stuff is why I didn't like it. Um, like what? How did I literally describe it? I've got Bubba shouting a lot, talking about Jesus and crosses. Uh, I think well, that, I mean well,
1: they're supposed to be like a southern kind of backyard hick kind of group, I suppose you might call them, and that I think that's the idea of where this Christian, overtly Christian thing comes from in a in a promotion that was largely promoted in the northeast. Of America, yeah,
2: it didn't didn't work for me.
1: So then we get Sabu and ron Van Dam versus Hayabusa and Jinsei Shinseki, which we have covered, mm. and. After that, there is a video package detailing Bam Bam Bigelow and Taz's match from Living Dangerously earlier in the year where Bigelow pins Taz after putting him through the ring. Bigelow subsequently loses loses the TV title to Rob Van Dam, which denies Taz the opportunity to win it back off of Bigelow. um, And then therefore Taz introduces the FTW title due to Shane Douglas's injured elbow where he wasn't really defending the title. I think he was pretty much out of action for sort of seven or eight or nine months with this elbow injury but they kept the belt on him which is quite novel and again not something I think you'd see very often these days. No,
0: it, it was quite interesting because it showed quite a, a lot of different moments when Shane Douglas got attacked and the fact that he tried to wrestle in matches with kind of like a brace on and couldn't do it I thought was quite good and thought it was quite a good build-up to match. I think at this point I realised that my favourite thing about this pay-per-view is everything between the matches <laughs> largely like the storytelling going into them it leads to some of them Anyway, and I thought this was quite good, and I like the fact that when we get back after the video package is finished, the Shane McMahon is out. Uh, Shane McMahon, <laughs> Shane,
2: McMahon.
0: <laughs> Shane McMahon's there. Um, comes the money. <laughs> yeah, Shane, Shane Douglas is absolutely just frothing at the mouth, mental going on about how much of a scumbag Taz is, which I thought was really good. Also, I was kind of interested in the like, kind of like the, the chronology, if you will, of the group because I couldn't tell if Bam Bam Bigler was a member of Triple Threat. I couldn't remember. I couldn't figure out if Chris Candido and Lance Storm were a t- tag team in triple threat and if so why would they call triple threat because there's four of them
1: so there, there was three of them and what happened in I think in 97 so Bigelow was in the triple threat with Douglas and Candido and I think in 97 Bigelow won the world title off of Douglas briefly and stepped out of the triple threat and Storm Lance Storm joined them uh, as a kind of replacement for him I, I think I'm, I mean this this is me trying to remember back copies of Paris Last 97 <laughs> and 98 to remind me of this story and I think what happened is that then Bigelow rejoined and they turned on Lance Storm and kicked him out of triple threat again so right. it was back Back to the original three members i think i think that was the second kind of go though of the triple threat so i think there had been a previous one prior to shane douglas going to wwe uh, in 95 briefly see as dean douglas <laughs>
0: what he should have stuck with that
1: Yeah, probably. This match is a Fool's Count Anywhere match for Taz's FTW Heavyweight Championship. Fuck the world is what FTW means, in case you were not aware. It's a 13 and a half minute match and it ends when Taz runs and jumps on Bigelow's back and applies the Taz mission for the win after both men had crashed through the entrance ramp. Matt, what did you make of this one?
2: First, I was initially a little disappointed. Only because, just going back to the video package, is when they showed that this wasn't the sort of famous match where, uh, you know, Bam Bam and Taz fell through and I thought, oh, so I was like, yes, I'm going to get to see that one. And then when I saw that it was, I was like, ah, shit. So I was a little, a little bit disappointed at the start, but I quickly got over it. This, this match had its moments. It, it was another example, I think, of them working far more to the crowd than to, to other people watching, you know, on pay-per-view. There was loads of stuff involved, you know, like in the crowd and it was difficult to see what was going on and, you know, they were walking through chairs and being thrown into chairs and stuff like that so th- that took me a little bit out of it um, but there, there were some good things in this um, I mean you know the, the spot of, um, of them going through the ramp I mean that was towards the finish that was absolutely insane and, and again and I, I hope there was potentially something underneath there to protect them because it, it didn't look like there was but wow I mean that, that did look good to be fair and the, the finish that I really loved because obviously you know Bam Bam comes out then Taz comes out and literally you know is all fired up and inspired Prints at him to get it to, because he's literally thinking, shit, this is my moment, I've got to get him. So he runs after him to get the Taz mission and and obviously gets the tap out quite quickly. That was an excellent finish, I thought. Throughout the match, you know, Taz was trying loads of different submissions again, as a big MMA fan to me, massively appealing, you know, him trying to do loads of different subs like that. So I really liked it. The the one thing that I thought was really interesting, though, I I don't know how you guys felt about it, because, you know, particularly in terms of watching at the time as well, I, I don't quite get the FTW title. I say I don't get it. I mean, I understand what they were trying to do with it, and I understand its purpose. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not a, a title I was, a, I was a fan of. I mean, to be fair to them, I suppose. I mean, they for a fake belt they made it seem more
1: important than you know WWE have done with the 24/7 title. But
2: <laughs> whether that's a good or a bad thing, I'll leave
1: it up to you. But I think it was their way of doing the interim title thing without mm. doing an interim title because Douglas was legit, legit hurt and they couldn't really wrestle very much. But they wanted Taz to have this big. Case to the title, to the real world title. So it's kind of like saying the FTW title was more prestigious than the world title because Douglas wasn't defending it and Taz was un, was almost undefeated. I mean, Bigelow had obviously beaten him, but he, I think Bigelow was the one person who'd ever beaten him in ECW, effectively, or at least this, kind of, this incarnation of Taz. So the idea was that, you know, Douglas was kind of almost ducking Taz and that's why Taz had to create his own belt because he was just like, that he wasn't getting the shot. So I think, I think that's the idea. Whether it worked or not, I'm not sure it is a bit is a bit strange and again I think it's one of those things that unless you're watching regularly it's probably not going to make a load of sense
0: but it'd it'd be like if they had the million dollar belt defended in the main event of SummerSlam 88 do you know what I mean I think think that like wrestler created titles always feel like more of a novelty or a gimmick than a genuine title and I think it does fall victim to that but like you said having not watched it week and week out having only seen this minor small snapshot into the world of ECW in 1998 that it's hard to say if there is any genuine prestige attached to that title.
1: Yeah, and it it was a gimmick. It was a gimmick. the, The truth is it was. I mean, it was also effectively WWE copied it the next year. So what happened is Taz wins the world title early 99, but Sabu subsequently beat him or stolen or something, the FDW title belt. So they fight at the match we watched in one of our previous episodes at ECW Living Dangerously 99, where the winner gets both belts. And that's effectively what WWE did at Backlash the same year, where The Rock had Austin's Smoking Skull belt and had lost the world title to Austin, but wasn't giving him the Smoking Skull belt back. And so Austin had to go and beat him again to get that belt. It was effectively the same story yeah do you
2: know i i I get it i mean but like one of the things you know that Taz did quite a lot, and and you know I heard him in the video package kept referring to himself as the uncrowned champion. I mean, I would have been cool if they just said that, you know. I I don't think they needed to call it, you know, the fuck the world belt. I mean, okay, that's you know Taz's character. That that's what they were going for. They could have just crowned him, you know, called him, you know, the uncrowned champion, the interim champion, whatever. I felt that would have made a bit more sense, really. But like like I said, I mean, the the match it was good, um. But again, you know, same thing, you know, like I said, you know, throughout the throughout the show. It definitely continued the trend of just matches, just not being as good as the last. And it was fine. I actually expected a little bit more, to be honest, expected a little bit better. I completely thought straight away from the start, I was like, Clas is winning this. I thought almost straight away. So that, that, that was no shock really, but um
0: it was it was good. It, it was a it was a good good enough match. Yeah, I I agree with you in that I, I started the match or even before the match, I was like, I know that Taz is gonna win this. And I also know they've got this ramp set up so that someone's gonna go through it because it was so telegraphed by virtue of the fact they kept on showing them going through the ring in their earlier match. I was like, Yeah, that's definitely why that's their music is what I wanted to talk about because Taz's music mm. has got him going, fight me if you will survive if I let you and I was like if you Bad, can yeah beat me if you can survive finally that's right and he he's Big, this big tough guy he's been like you know I want to record my own entrance music I'm going to go in the booth I'm going to go in the booth and record my own theme music that's what um, men do <laughs> exactly but right at the beginning they're basically in the crowd right at the beginning I'm thinking fucking that's supposed to be so fucking annoying if you're in the crowd so you can't see shit in this match but there's a bit where they're fighting for the crowd for a bit and Taz punches Bam Bam a few times and then he just goes fuck you <laughs> which I just did not I just really enjoyed that there's a really nasty bump that Taz takes where he goes head first and to a table um, in the corner, and at that point where Taz starts bleeding, and I was like, "Hello, this is the first bit of blood we've seen in the obviously apart from in the uh, in the New Jack segment that happened earlier, where he's he's being this is the first this is the first colour we're getting getting in this event, which I thought was quite interesting. I'm always impressed by Taz's ability to suplex people and he does a beautiful t-bone suplex on bam bam into the corner the move that goes actually into that puts him through the ramp is kind of cool because taz kind of reverses what looks like some kind of like slam into a into a tornado DDT through the table and then the commentary do a really good job when Bam Bam emerges first at the table and Shane Douglas says not a table got... it's
1: not a table oh
0: sorry not table sorry through the ramp sorry and Shane Douglas says you've got to remember yeah they went through it. it was a DDT on Bam Bam but all of Bam Bam's weight would have landed on Taz so he's going to have had really had the wind knocked out of him and I thought that was a really good bit of commentary from Shane Douglas Um, and when they go through Shane Douglas goes they're dead they're dead <laughs> which I like and then at that point there's some bloke who must be near the commentary or near a microphone somewhere he's just going ECW 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 and everyone else is going holy shit, holy <laughs> shit. he's just there going E-C-W. yeah ECW oh, poor cunt but yeah the pop then when Taz so Bam, Bam gets out first as you said Matt and the pop when Taz gets out is amazing and like you said the fact that he fucking runs and in the Taz mission is great and Bam Bam taps pretty much straight away and Joey Stiles on commentary says he taps he wasn't really you for the broken Duxie Douglas series.
3: My ass! <laughs> Just he really was
0: yeah he gets my ass and then he gets and then he just starts going absolutely ballistic and then Taz calls out Shane Douglas he starts throwing monitors at him or in his general direction I just thought yeah I thought that bit was great I, I didn't think the match was great but I, I liked all of the storytelling around it and I especially enjoyed Shane Douglas being absolutely just so biased and absolutely despising Taz the entire time on commentary which made the match a lot more interesting than it deserved to be based on the actual I say in ring Action. There isn't any, but based on the actual fighting that happens.
1: Yeah, I I thought this was uh, I thought this was decent. I thought it was pretty de- pretty good. Again, no, I'm totally agree with Matt. I just think that the whole trajectory of the show is just going, but not not in a bad way until the main event. It's just gradually tailing off, and then the main event just fucking falls off a cliff. But the the the, the rest of the the show is is sort of relatively consistent. And I was a little bit disappointed by it. And I find myself feeling that way about most of Taz's matches in ECW. I think because they do feel important. Important And exciting ahead of the match And then the match itself doesn't feel quite as good As it, it feels like it should by that point and, that, and that's kind of really my abiding Feeling around him And his matches I do love the build though to Shane Douglas Because that's what they're building to Is Taz Shane Douglas for the title And that doesn't happen until January So they've got another sort of five months basically to get there They've got another pay-per-view to get through as well Before that point They've got lots of other shows as well Obviously ECW uh, arena shows and whatnot So I really I like that the fact that they're really building towards that big confrontation between the two uh, and I, uh, you yeah, know, Bam Bam, love a bit of Bam Bam me, absolutely love it, really enjoy the the spot where they go through the uh, the ramp and for oh, me it's, it's, it's a table mate, <laughs> and, and it makes the match, it, you know, it, it, if I'm honest if that hadn't happened this would be a little bit unremarkable in general but uh, that spot really made made up for it and I agree with you about the end. So as you say after the match Taz tells Douglas again to beat me if you can, survive if I let you, Douglas is shown trying to leave the commentary booth but francine is able to hold him back so he's not trying that hard after all and he even i think joey styles says i'm not going to help you as if douglas is <laughs> trying to say help me help hold me back kind of thing J- joey styles is now on his own in the commentary booth and he solemnly talks about the dudleys uh, and their breaking of beulah mcgillicuddy's neck with the 3d and then we see a brief very dramatic video of the incident in slow motion and kind of sad music and bits of black and white here and there and all the rest of it. Styles afterwards rants about the Dudleys and says that he will not be objective for the main event, and then the main event happens, and we've already discussed it.
0: I like that, if I'm being honest. I quite like that from Joe Styles, and I also like the fact that, I did mention it during the match, but that when the Dudleys are coming down, he doesn't say anything, and he just says, i got, I got someone in the production truck telling me to talk. I'm not going to talk hate these guys, which again, I just quite, which <laughs> It's quite light.
1: I thought this was all fine, but obviously it, what it preceded was the problem. Oh, so, yeah. yeah.
2: Do you know were two quick things and um, very quickly that I did forget? Actually, there was a spot in the uh, in the match where I think Bam. I'm not sure if he threw Taz over the rail or Taz was just coming over the rail and he was lying on the floor and Bam Bam was crawling back over or trying to uh, crawl back over the uh, the rail and I think it looked like an accident, like he accidentally put all his weight on the back of Taz's head and like Taz even looked like fuck. Like he was holding his head afterwards. I don't think he was meant to do that. He was just trying to come over the rail and he didn't realize that Taz was there and put all his weight on the back of his head. Don't think that was meant to happen, but never you know you never know. And the 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 face off, you know, whatever Shane Douglas was up in the commentary table covered. Um, you know the the face off between the pair of them, I, I just thought was great and and it felt like Taz versus Shane for the title. Felt like a big deal. So happy days. Job done, absolutely.
1: So that's the whole show. Well, it's time for our overall thoughts on a score out of 10. I'm going to start with you, Matt. Do you know what? They, this was a good show for me.
2: That, you know, Like,
1: like, like we've
2: said multiple times in, in terms of the quality. started up there. For those who can't see that, my hand is up high. <laughs> it just slowly went down through, throughout the course of the show. Not completely off a cliff until the main event, but, but it did continue to go down in terms of quality. But I felt the matches were just good enough that I give this... I don't want to go too high. I'm, I'm going to go about a six. I think on this, I think it was it was a good show. The the end let it down a little bit, but yeah, I, I'd give this a six out of ten. I think. So
0: as I said at the top of the show, I'm not a big ECW guy. This is the third, well fourth, if we count one night stand ECW card that I I believe that I've I've covered, and it's the best of the original. ECW, cards should I say that we've done? I still is I know it is a product, it is a result of the the product that it was, but there's still some things I just can't, I can't go for the shitty production. I just can't. It it just bothers me. Do you know what I mean? I know they they couldn't compete with WWE on that thing, but having been been you know conditioned, Storyless. so knowing <laughs> this is what wrestling looks like, I, I always struggle to get past it. And I must admit, talking through it with you guys, I think has made me appreciate it a little bit more than it was when i was watching it because i was able to pick out the things that i really liked and i think ultimately whilst it's not for me there are el- enough elements in this pay-per-view that i enjoyed enough to give it a five i would never watch it again well, <laughs> I, I, that's that's what i'd say
1: i've already watched it like three or four times so <laughs> yeah. so i probably won't watch it again though this will probably certainly be the last time i see it uh, i'm giving it a six I think that every match for me, the first four matches, I think, are all of a quality where I would be happy to say, you might want to watch that. I would, you know, I'd soft recommend every one of them. And I'd be more of a firm recommend on the opening match, to be honest, because I think that was a really good match. But the Taz Bigelow match, I think is a little bit, underwhelming and I think the main event is just a mess to me to me ultimately though that is what ECW fans wanted it was there's a reason why it was the main event these are much as I find them crap obviously the Dudleys had something about them because they were one of the main heel acts in the company and of course were picked up by WWE in mid-99 and Sam and Tom and Dreamer are tremendously over and popular amongst the ECW faithful it's just absolutely not for me but I said there was enough quality and that it didn't hurt it too much If it had been closer To being on a part to their ECW One night stand match, the tag team match Between Dudleys and Sandman and Dreamer I would probably give us another notch up because the that match, I think, is actually really good. But again, it features the Dudley Boys, who are far better at that point in their careers. And also, I think the Sandman, who had probably done his best to stay in his best shape he possibly could for that match. Indeed, I think it did end up winning him a contract for a couple of years with WWE, so it was well worth getting into shape for that one. So I thought it was a decent show, and I agree with you, Tom. Of the original ECW, this is the best show we've covered so far on this podcast. All right, I'm going to let you go. It's, uh, it's hot enough and late enough that we, I'm sure, we're all calling for our beds, but probably beds without any covers on or any, or any kind whatsoever. So, uh, Tom, thank you for joining me today.
0: Cheers, mate. Thank you for having me. Cheers, Matt.
2: Glenn Jacobs of Cuddle.
1: Lovely. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you remembered to say that. We're trying to make a point of saying that every single week. Matt, thank you for joining us as well.
2: Thank you very much. Pleasure as always. I can't quite say that because I'm just too nice.
1: This is the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again next week. But until then, take care.